That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. The mayor of our city was attacked by officers under the direction of the President of the United States. He was tear-gassed by, well, we still don't know. Apparently, these are mostly people from Customs and Border Patrol. These are the people who gleefully pour out bottles of water in the desert that are left for people who might be dying as they're crossing a desert. (laughs) Those are the same people, right? Ted Wheeler, our mayor, he said this is urban warfare tactics. This is wrong. He said, I'm not going to lie. He said, it stings. It's hard to breathe. And I can tell you with 100% honesty, I saw nothing which provoked this. Senior DHS officials have said that they expect the violence associated with federal officers showing up in democratically controlled cities to, quote, protect federal buildings and monuments. They expect that violence to increase through the November elections, after which it'll presumably end. Really? Over at Raw Story, Trump's unpaid security bills are finally catching up with him as Florida sheriff reveals he can't secure RNC convention. But the backstory is the really interesting part. Back in October of last year, the city of Albuquerque sent a bill to the president's campaign for security. Trump went down there for a rally. And traditionally, when candidates show up in town and they need a whole bunch of extra police protection, they pay for it. This has always been the case. Well, it's not been the case with Trump. Albuquerque, the city of Albuquerque sent the Trump campaign a bill for $211,175.94. The Trump campaign has ignored it. The city of Lebanon, Ohio sent the Trump campaign a bill for security. The Trump campaign has ignored it. The city of Mesa, Arizona sent a bill to the Trump campaign for security for one of Trump's rallies. The Trump campaign has ignored it. The city of Erie, Pennsylvania, sent a bill to the Trump campaign for security for one of his rallies. The Trump campaign has ignored it. The cities of Green Bay and Eau Claire, Wisconsin, sent a bill to the Trump campaign. The campaign has ignored it. The city of Tucson, Arizona, sent a bill to the Trump campaign for security during a rally. They've ignored it. The city of Burlington, Vermont, sent the Trump campaign a bill for security during a rally. The Trump campaign has ignored it. The city of Spokane, Washington, sent the Trump campaign a bill for security, you know, for their police. The Trump campaign is supposed to love police. They are screwing police departments and cities all over this country. And now down in Duval County, where Trump wants to hold his RNC, the city is saying, we're not sure we can make sure that, we can't be certain that the the police will be able to show up, sorry. It's like karma. It's amazing. Donald Trump was asked by a reporter during his, I suppose he's calling them coronavirus briefings, but you know, it. It was so filled with misinformation that CNN refused to carry it and MSNBC kept cutting away so that the reporter could say, well, he just said this, but actually here's the truth on that. So most of the information was statistical, right? It was cherry picking statistics. It really uh, clarified what Abraham Lincoln said so many years ago that figures don't lie, but liars can figure. And it's absolutely true. But in any case, during that event, He opened it up to reporters' questions, and one of the reporters said, Jelaine Maxwell has been arrested now. She was Jeffrey Epstein's collaborator in basically hiring 
illegally young women, young girls, to have sex with older men, whether it's Prince Andrew or Donald Trump or whoever. And there's lots and lots and lots of pictures floating all over the place of Donald Trump and Jelaine Maxwell and, and Jeffrey Epstein. And Jeffrey Epstein, of course, was either murdered or committed suicide in his jail cell. We don't know because somehow, mysteriously, the cameras in that area got turned off and the guards fell asleep during the hour or so when he just decided to commit suicide, just by coincidence. It's all, it's all a coincidence. So anyhow, Nigel Cawthorn, who is the official biographer or maybe unofficial, I'm not sure. He wrote a book about Prince Andrew or about this whole situation. It's called Epstein and the Palace. It's a major bestseller in the United Kingdom. And he pointed out that when uh, Donald Trump was asked, will Jelaine Maxwell turn in very powerful men? Trump said, well, I don't know. I don't know her that well. I saw her around a little bit, but I wish her well. And he went out of his way to say that two or three times. I wish her well. Which, you know, I heard him say about Michael Flynn. I heard him say about Paul Manafort and Roger Stone. This is something that Trump basically says about people he's planning to pardon or try to pardon or get their sentences. You know, Paul Manafort's out loose right now. He's living in his apartment. You know, the only one Trump hasn't wished well recently was Michael Cohen, who's writing a book about Trump. So anyhow, this biographer, Nigel Cawthorn, in the United Kingdom, he says... Because Trump said, I wish her well two or three times on TV, he said Trump may be indicating that he'd look favorably on her if she keeps quiet. He has the power to pardon her if she pleads guilty. So all she has to do is say, you know, I'm not talking. I'll plead guilty. I will say, you know, whatever you say I did, fine, I'll sign a paper. But if you want to know who the men were that I was hooking up with these 16-year-olds, ain't going to happen. You know, was Donald Trump sleeping with a 15-year-old or a 17-year-old? I'm not going to tell you. If she does that, then Trump basically is saying he would pardon her. So anyhow, he has the power to pardon her. She's found guilty or pleads guilty. It certainly increases the intrigue around the case. He added, it's a bit puzzling. Donald Trump has a long history of distancing himself from friends in trouble. Prince Andrew can attest to that. As in only in December, Trump said, no, I don't really know him. Prince Andrews actually knows Donald Trump quite well, or vice versa. So his biographer goes on to say, you'd think he'd try to distance himself from Jelaine Maxwell, too, after she was charged. But no. So is Trump begging Jelaine Maxwell to keep her mouth shut? And if she does, he'll give her a pardon, probably after the election. I mean, you know, it looks like she's not even going to go to trial for a year. But she could change her plea right away, and then he could pardon her. He could even pardon her if she never changes her plea. And that could just end the whole thing. That's what Bill Barr told George Herbert Walker Bush to do with Casper uh, Weinberger and Ollie North back in December of 1992 in order to shut down the Iran-Contra investigation. And it worked. It produced a three-page giant screaming headline across the front page of the New York Times on Christmas Day 1992. You can see it in the New York Times archives if you're a subscriber. You know, the cover-up was complete. The Iran-Contra cover-up was done. And Bush did it at Bill Barr's recommendation. So, you know, he just pardoned these people, and they were no longer subject to subpoena. So, you know, I think it's entirely possible. Carol in Hammock, California. Hey, Carol, what's up? Good day to you. I was watching Democracy Now! and saw... One of the headlines, Trump's press secretary said, Trump has the legal right to deploy federal agents based on, and I quote, 40 U.S. Code 1315, which gives DHS the authority to deputize officers in any department or agency, such as ICE, Border Patrol, secret service this right. makes me shudder sounds like it might be legal i didn't try to even look up this code there's looking into but it makes me shudder because we have departments and agencies tasked with surveillance tasked with naming who is a terrorist organization etc cetera, etc cetera. Right. 
You get my right. point. Thank you, Tom. No, this is, yeah, thank you, Carol. This is a problem with the Patriot Act and with all the legislation that has followed it is when that thing was put together, the Patriot Act, and Bernie Sanders was on this show when that was happening, and we were hearing blow by blows. And, you know, when the Patriot Act was passed and in the subsequent amendments to it and reauthorizations of it, in every single case, there have been people on both the right and left. There have been people like Bernie Sanders and friends, progressive Democrats, and there have been people like Justin Amash on the Republican side the conservative Republicans, and I believe Rand Paul, I could be wrong on this, but who have been saying, no, wait a minute. Right now, we're going to use these powers against terrorists, and that's all well and good. But what happens if you get a government, and of course, the fever fear of Rand Paul and Justin Amash is that it would be, you know, the next FDR, that you get Bernie Sanders as president or Elizabeth Warren, who will use this to, uh, you know, to infringe on gun owners' rights or something like that, or white racists' right to do whatever they do. And those warnings have been ignored. And everybody is like, well, you know, we, you can trust people who run government agencies. They have some integrity. They're going to behave. You know, we've got norms and standards that we followed in this country for 240 years. You don't have to have, you know, restrictions on every police power. And you don't have to have laws that limit the, uh, the authority of these agencies because they're not going to be abused. Don't worry. And here we are. I mean, there's so much that needs to be done when we get a rational, if we get a rational Democratic administration. Sean in Detroit. Hey, Sean, what's on your mind? Oh, hey, Tom. Thanks for taking the call. Yeah, I just wanted to comment on the uh, federal agents in Detroit, and uh, I live about a mile in the city from Seven and Evergreen. Mm-hmm. You know, it just gave me chills. But I did go to WXYZ, which is the local Channel 7 affiliate website, and they are reporting, and it's kind of made me feel a little bit better, that a DEA spokesman has informed Channel 7 Action News that they are not there to assist local police with protesters, but they were serving a warrant in the area. So, uh, um, Okay, well, that's good yeah. news, Sean. That's good news. I appreciate it. Okay, Alexander in Playa del Rey, California. Hey, Alexander, what's on your mind today? Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, what's on my mind is I read an article here. I haven't heard it anywhere else. It's the Bipartisan Report, and it's by Caleb Newton, July 21st, 2020. Pelosi gets GOP defector and wins vote 215 to 190 to stop Trump's secret police. This was done Monday. The Democratic-led U.S. House approved an amendment to the Insurrection Act of 1807 that would constrain Donald Trump's power to deploy active duty troops on U.S. soil. I haven't heard this anywhere else except for reading this article. Yeah. Here's the problem, Alexander. That, and you're right, that amendment, that's going into the defense appropriation bill, right? Is it? I'm pretty sure. I, I don't have the story right in front of me, but I read a story about this last night. It's an amendment to the defense appropriation bill, which is being cobbled together right now. This is the bill where that Donald Trump is threatening to veto because the House version has provisions about renaming military bases after people who are not traitors. And Trump says he will veto it if it has that. This is another one of the provisions that's going into that. It's just viewed as a gesture, but I think it's a good one. And I I agree with you. And I think more people need to know about it. And, uh, you know, thanks for bringing that up. Alexander, I appreciate it. Casey in West Palm Beach, Florida. Hey, Casey, what's on your mind today? Hey, how you doing, Tom? Long time. My question to you, Tom, is what is going to be, if the Democrats do lose, okay, where do we go from, I mean, where do we go from here? Basically, what I'm going with this is that they've had a four years to get their act together. And they basically went with Russia, Russia, Russia for four years. And now they got a winning lottery ticket with the George Floyd where people have an enthusiasm. This is the first time we've had enthusiasm in years. So, again, the Democrats have another winning lottery ticket. Okay, will they cash in? Right. Well, I think there's a whole lot of other pieces to that, too. They needed to wait for the Democratic primary to resolve itself. It still hasn't, technically. And we're still waiting for Biden to come up with a vice presidential pick. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the process. But, you know, your larger question, will the Democrats get their act together? God, I hope so. I mean, and I think it's happening. 
I think it's happening on a lot of levels. Nancy Pelosi has been providing really effective leadership. You know, I mean, she does things that I don't always agree with, but 95% of what she's been doing has been extraordinary. I thought it was particularly sweet when twice in an interview she referred to the coronavirus as the Trump virus. I'm thinking all of us should start calling it the Trump virus. He likes to call it the China virus. And then you've got people like Congressman Ted Lieu saying, you know, that his Asian constituents are being spit upon and yelled at and beaten up because Trump keeps referring to this as, a, as the Chinese virus. It's the Trump virus. But anyhow, you know, what, what Democrats are going to do, you know, I think it's going to be pretty straightforward. I'm, I'm actually fairly optimistic right now. Although, you know, these guys have really revealed themselves to be naked fascists. We'll do that. Ree in Nampa, Idaho. Hey, Ree, what's on your mind? Hi. I was reading that military review is conducted when personal honor and safety are above country and duty. And when Trump is called in by the military, or he calls into the military, is he subject to an oath violation and subject to military review for breaking his oath? No, he's not subject to the Uniform Code of Military Justice, and he's not subject to any of the norms or, or traditions of the United States military. He's commander-in-chief under the Constitution, but that does not make him a member of the military. That makes him the civilian who supervises the military. And that was a real important point that, that they made at the Constitutional Convention. They wanted to make sure that the person running the military was not a military person. I mean, you know, was, George Washington obviously was a general, but he was not the general when he was the president. He was simply commander-in-chief. And so, no, he's not subject to that, Reed. But it's a great question. I wish he was. Or at least I wish he had some integrity, although then he'd probably be even more dangerous. Robert in West Allis, Wisconsin. Hey, Robert, what's up? Hi, thanks for taking the call. I don't know if you've seen it. You probably have already covered it on the show. I just want to remind people in, in the Holocaust Museum, there's a sign that basically says, what are some of the features or what are some of the activities going on that lead you to believe, you know, your country is heading toward fascism? You know, and I, I read down that list and it just kind of checks the boxes, whether it's the ultra-nationalism, you know, calling Mexicans rapists and, and, and other things, whether it's, you know, control of the media, sexism against women, suppression of labor unions, and pretty much across the board. And now we're seeing it with the militarization, you know, where they're picking people up in bands and things. And uh, I just encourage everyone to read that list. If you go through the list, it almost hits all the points of what's going on right now. And what we're finding is that the Republican Party for the last 40 years, increasingly vocally over the last 20 years, but, you know, this started with the Reagan administration, the Republican Party has been identifying those characteristics on that list, Robert, which, when they work, are the characteristics of a functioning democratic republic, small d, of a functioning republic, a functioning constitutional republic. You know, things like recognition of labor unions or recognition of the rights of women and minorities. The Republican Party increasingly is treating those things as things that are non-American or anti-American. They're liberal, and we need to own the libs, and we need to get rid of that stuff. And yeah, maybe they're liberal in the context of, you know, the Enlightenment brought us liberal democracies, and that that's what every, you know, constitutionally limited democratic republic around the world is. But, uh, you know, the Republican Party has just turned into a fascist voice machine. It's, it's amazing. Robert, thank you. Well said. From Robert to Robert, this is Robert in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Hey, Robert, what's up? Hey, Tom. I, uh, I just had a thought about, you know, a better way to maybe get at the root of this problem is maybe if we stop this, this war on drugs, you declare war on your own population, then uh, you're never going to have a good outcome. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And the war on drugs has, has completely failed. And, uh, you know, we do need to do what other countries are doing and say that drug abuse is a medical problem, not a legal problem, and let the medical system deal with it. Unfortunately, we don't have a medical system in the United States that's available to all Americans. We're the only fully developed democracy in the world that doesn't. Michael in Los Angeles. Hey, Michael, what's up? Thank you so much for taking my call. Just real quick. I had to ask, I am completely against federal troops occupying any United States city or doing anything like that, or okay. federal agents or anything like that. But, I mean, what are your thoughts about Chicago? Because 14 people got shot 
in Chicago at a funeral parlor. I mean, this could be considered a mass shooting in a lot of other a lot of other. Yeah, but you don't need the federal government to deal with local law enforcement. You've got crime in the United States. We've always had crime in the United States. We're always going to have crime in the United States right now. Even as homicide levels have gone up slightly in some of our cities, they're way below where they were 10 years ago. Broadly speaking, there is no need for federal intervention. This is being hyped by right wing hate radio and Fox News in order to justify the federalization of policing in cities with Democratic mayors. That's it. Full stop. And 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 federal police, you know, they don't have the power to go into a community and get to know who who was the perpetrator and how did this happen and why did it come about and what's the name of the gang. And I mean, policing is actually fairly complex stuff. It's not just somebody rides in, you know, on a white horse with a black mask and says, I'm going to solve the problem. This whole Lone Ranger thing of the federal government is wrong and crazy. And for those folks who are saying, oh, but, you know, hey, there was a bunch of murders. Well, yeah, that's why you have a homicide department inside the Chicago Police Department. You don't need feds. Let's be very clear about this. Donald Trump is sending federal officers into democratically controlled cities in order to create mayhem and death, not to solve it. He thinks this will be a strategy that will help him win an election. That's it. Full stop. Period. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's, or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure. 
how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Tom Hartman Book Club. Today we're reading from Hannah Arendt's book, The Origins of Totalitarianism. And uh, I've known about this book, read little pieces of it for decades. I mean, it's, a, it's the classic work on totalitarianism. It's long and there's a lot of words in it. But for this moment, Elliot Lustig was tweeting about Donald Trump. This is back when Donald Trump was talking about three to five million illegal immigrants voting, right? And he said, Hannah Arendt, in her book, The Origin of Totalitarianism, provides a helpful guide for interpreting the language of fascists. She noted how decent liberals of 1930s Germany would fact check the Nazis' bizarre claims about things like Jews as if they were meant to be factual. What they failed to understand, Arendt suggests, is that the Nazi Jew hating was not a statement of fact, but a declaration of intent. So when someone would blame the Jews for Germany's defeat in World War I, naive people would counter by saying, there's no evidence of that. What the Nazis were doing was not describing what was true, but what would have to be true in order to justify what they planned to do next. So did three million illegals cast vote in the election? Clearly not. But fact-checking is just a way of playing along with their game. What Trump is saying is not that three million illegals voted. What he's saying is, I'm going to steal the voting rights of millions of Americans. So that's kind of a contemporary frame for this book. So let's read from the book itself. Here, this is from page 348. And she's talking about totalitarian movements and how they use propaganda, how they communicate with the public, and the difference between terror and propaganda, the, the kind of terror that they can inculcate by, by just kind of randomly arresting people. Pretty much everybody's committed some kind of crime at some point, right? Arresting people, and on the one hand, that's the terror, or convincing the people. She says, totalitarian movements use socialism and racism by emptying them of their utilitarian content, the interests of a class or a nation. The form of infallible protection in which these concepts were presented has become more important than their content. The chief qualification of a mass leader has become unending infallibility. He can never admit an error. The assumption of infallibility, moreover, is based not so much on superior intelligence as on the correct interpretation of the essentially reliable forces in history and nature, forces which neither defeat nor ruin can prove wrong because they're bound to assert themselves in the long run. Mass leaders in power have one concern, which overrides all utilitarian consideration, to make their predictions come true. The Nazis did not hesitate to use, at the end of the war, the concentrated force of their still intact organization to bring about as complete a destruction of Germany as possible in order to make true their prediction that the German people would be ruined in case of defeat. The propaganda effect of infallibility, the striking success of posing as a mere interpreting agent of predictable forces, has encouraged in totalitarian dictators the habit of announcing their political intentions in the form of prophecy. The most famous example is Hitler's announcement to the German Reichstag in January 1939, quote, I want today once again to make a prophecy in case the Jewish financiers succeed one more in hurling the people into a world war, the result will be the annihilation of the Jewish race in Europe, end of quote. Translated into non-totalitarian language, this means, I intend to make war and I intend to kill the Jews of Europe. Similarly, Stalin, in the great speech before the Central Committee of the Communist Party in 1930, in which he prepared the physical liquidation of intra-party right and left deviationists, described them as representatives of dying classes. This definition not only gave the argument its specific sharpness, but also announced in totalitarian style the physical destruction of those whose dying out had just been prophesied. In both instances, the same objective is accomplished. The liquidation is fitted into a historical process in which man not only suffers or does or suffers what, according to some immutable law, is bound to happen anyway. As soon as the execution of the victims has been carried out, the prophecy becomes a retrospective alibi. Nothing happened but what has already been predicted. It does not matter whether the laws of history spell the doom of the classes and the representatives or whether the laws of nature exterminate all those elements 
democracies, Jews, Eastern subhumans, the Untermenschen, or the incurably sick, they are not fit to live anyway. Incidentally, Hitler, too, spoke of dying classes that ought to be, quote, eliminated without much ado, end quote. This method, like other totalitarian propaganda methods, is foolproof only after the movements have seized power. Then all debate about the truth or falsity of a totalitarian dictator's prediction is as weird as arguing with a potential murderer about whether his future victim is dead or alive. Since by killing the person in question, the murderer can provide prompt proof of the correctness of his statement. The only valid argument under such conditions is promptly to rescue the person whose death has been predicted. Before mass leaders seize the power to fit reality to their lies, their propaganda is marked by its extreme contempt for facts as such. For in their opinion, fact depends entirely on the power of the man who can fabricate it. The assertion that the Moscow subway is the only one in the world is a lie only so long as the Bolsheviks have not the power to destroy all the others. From Hannah Arendt's book, The Origins of Totalitarianism. Tom Harbin here with you. So we've got uh, Detroit. We've got feds on the ground in Detroit. We've got uh, DSH officials telling the press, we expect violence essentially caused by federal officers showing up in American cities. We expect violence to continually increase until November. And then you get to Chad Wolf, the acting secretary of Homeland Security, saying that we are now having to arrest people who have not yet committed a crime because we believe in the future they will. Honest to God. It's majority report time. That's where we're at. He said, this is what he said on Fox News, and I quote, the department, he's talking about Department of Homeland Security, the department, because we don't have that local support, that local law enforcement support, we are having to go out and proactively arrest individuals. He's saying that we have to arrest people before they've committed crimes. That would be an unlawful arrest. That would be a crime in and of itself. Speaking of crimes, Donald Trump, it's now being reported and, and apparently has been solidly verified by multiple persons, including the British ambassador, the U.S. ambassador to Great Britain, uh, Woody Johnson. He has told multiple people that Donald Trump asked him to ask the United Kingdom to hold the British open this giant, big, internationally attended, big hoop-de-doop, very profitable golf tournament to hold it at his Turnberry, what was it, Ireland or Scotland, wherever it is, Scotland, his Turnberry Resort. This is the President of the United States using our diplomatic service to make himself money, to increase his own personal profit. There's a couple of uh, groups that have been out there documenting, doing a really good job, by the way, of documenting how Trump has moved tens of millions of dollars from donor accounts, from people con contributing to everything from the, you know, at the very beginning, his last campaign, uh, at the very beginning, the inaugural balls, all the way up to today. These people who are constantly getting these emails that I'm getting two, three, four, five times a day saying, Fred, you got to send us money. It's desperate. You know, I got one from them yesterday. This is uh, Thomas. I have some big news to share with you, you know, because I bought the Trump coloring book. Now they've got my real name. At least some of them do. It's really weird. There's a whole bunch of different groups that are all soliciting me all off this one five dollar contribution that I made five years ago to the Trump campaign. So in total now, I've given them thirty dollars in five years just to see what happens, just to see how they're doing and how they're scamming their supporters. And this is incredible. I have some big news to share with you. You've always been one of Trump's best, President Trump's best supporters. Best is in all caps. So when a spot opened up on his highly prestigious presidential honor roll, I wanted to offer it to you first. Get this? There are people who believe this stuff, right? This is a con. They're running a con on their own supporters. As a member of the honor roll, President Trump will be relying on you to advise him throughout the coming months heading into November. When he needs trustworthy guidance, he'll turn to you, Thomas. The honor roll is an exclusive group. We can only guarantee your spot for the next hour. 
Please contribute $25 in the next hour to join the Trump presidential honor roll. And the picture makes it look like you're going to get a plaque in the mail. These guys, they're running scams. They're running the violence scam. They're running the, oh my God, there's murder in the cities. And so we need to send in the federal officers, which has nothing to do with murder in the cities. That's why you have city homicide bureaus scam that they're running. They're running the, we can arrest you when we, when they can't scam. Uh, Trump is running this, hey, move the uh, British Open to my golf resort scam. Facebook had, this is nuts. Uh, Popular Information just uh, released this. This was yesterday, Judd Legum's uh, newsletter. It's over at popular.info. That there was false information in a conservative story. It was a lie. It was fact-checked by Facebook's group of fact-checkers, which includes Tucker Carlson's Daily Caller. And they said, yeah, it's true. It's a lie in this conservative ad. And then Congressman Mike Johnson, a Republican, contacted Joel Kaplan, a Republican operative, who's friends with Zuckerberg and an executive with uh, Facebook, and said, I got a problem with this. You're flagging the lie in this conservative ad. And so Joel Kaplan and Nick Clegg apparently spoke to Zuckerberg and the flag got removed. So now people will believe that the lies in this conservative ad on Facebook, which has got, you know, lots and lots of money behind it, are true. Meanwhile, local police unions around the country are going around elected officials to work with federal agencies. The president of Portland's police union met with Homeland Security Acting Secretary Chad Wolf last week. Uh, The president of Chicago's police union reached out to President Donald Trump personally asking for federal intervention. Police unions in New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, Detroit, Baltimore, Oakland. Really? You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. The police unions going around the mayors, going around the district attorneys, reaching out to Trump saying, yeah, federalize our cities. We want fascism. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. 
I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. On the science revolution, Sonia Shaw, author of Pandemic, is here, and she says it's time to tell a new story about coronavirus. Our lives depend on it. Dr. Enric Sala with National Geographic tells us how the benefits of protecting 30% of the planet will outweigh the costs. Lily Eskelson-Garcia with the National Education Association, the NEA, is dropping by. How is America going to protect our children as Trump and DeVos force them back into school? And Charlie Jang with Greenpeace USA is here about how a Green New Deal and the DNC will get along. Tune in wherever you find fine podcasts. Beth in Philadelphia. Hey, Beth. I understand your police union has reached out to Trump and said, send federal officers. I think that may be not quite what we want here. Yeah. I, I have this odd, hello, by the way. I have this strange feeling that we went through this before, prior to World War II, and there was a back and forth and a back and forth in today's world that says, oh, well, the Germans couldn't possibly have known. Oh, they had to have known. No, they couldn't possibly have known. They just went about their business, and this happened underneath their noses. Well, this is happening underneath our noses. We have jackboots on the ground in yep. Portland, and we will in Chicago, and uh I believe that Philadelphia will stand up and say, uh-uh, no. But that's what I wanted to point out, that we are a little more informed today because things go more quickly. But so also does information that is radicalized. And it's very yeah. scary. And I thank you very much for letting me say my piece. Thank okay. you. Okay. You're welcome, Beth. Look out. This is coming to Philadelphia. The DHS has said that they expect violence to escalate between now and the election in November. Gee, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, you don't have to be Daniel to see the writing on the wall, right? This is so obvious. This is an attempted fascist takeover of our country. And I never, you know, I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would be sitting here saying that. But this is that. It's not maybe that. It's not moving toward that. This is that. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And we've got four or five months to find out, or maybe six months if you go all the way into January, to find out if they're going to succeed. Robert in Baxley, Georgia. Hey, Robert, what's up? Thank you for taking my call, Tom. My theory is Trump is uh, sleepwalking us into dictatorship. Yep, and I what, agree. What he do, when he walked out in front of that church up there and held up that Bible and had that helicopter overhead and shooting the people with rubber bullets, throwing tear gas on them, now he got them troops, I mean, them, them federal officers down there in, uh, what's the name of the place? In Portland? Yeah, yeah, down in... in oh, that was in D.C., Lafayette Park, you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. And to come back, let me say this before you cut me off. To come back to talk about cleaning up a place but for the killing and stuff, if you let somebody like Baron Trump or one of them young coke guys go down in one of them ghetto places and get killed, they clean that place up in two days. Mm, yeah, I think it's it's more than just cleaning a place up, Robert. I mean, the, the, the reason there are reasons why crime happens. And generally speaking, the, the reason is not a lack of policing. There's a reason why there's higher crimes in poor neighborhood than there are in wealthy neighborhoods. And it has to do with money. It does. It doesn't so much have to do with police. But I get your point and your point's well taken. This is from an article in Politico magazine about Trump's federal forces in the cities. Uh, and here's the tell, quote, 
Senior DHS officials said that they expect the unrest to escalate at least through the November election. This is, you know, actual reporting by actual reporters. Tell me that that is not what this is. And then we've got Chad Loader is tweeting photographs, video actually, of DEA, Customs and Border Patrol, and FBI agents spotted in unmarked vans at Seven Mile and Evergreen. That's in Detroit. I used to live just down the street from Seven Mile and Evergreen. So the feds are on the ground in Detroit. Trump has said that they're coming to uh, Chicago, to Milwaukee. Philadelphia's police chief, or excuse me, uh, district attorney has come out and said, we will arrest these people if they show up. We'll see. Anyhow, let me pick up your phone calls here. Jan in Tucson, Arizona. Hey, Jan, what's up? Good morning, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Betsy DeVos's brother have some kind of a mercenary private army at one time? Yeah, he still does. It was called Blackwater. They changed their name twice. The name is currently Academy with an I at the end. And uh, his name is Eric Prince, and he's a billionaire. Yes. How do we know that that's not what's happening in Portland right now? We don't. We don't. Although they're starting now to say these people are from Customs and Border Protection, and and it looks like mostly they're getting them out of the Border Patrol. Not a lot of people trying to get into our country right now. Well, because the Department of Homeland Security has said that. But no, as an absolute state of fact, statement of fact, we don't know that. These well may be mercenaries. We just don't know. Jan, thanks for the call. Jessica in Chicago. Hey, Jessica, what's up? Hi, Fred. This is Buddy Rubble. And I love how you say, tag, you're it, because we have to fight back in our intelligent way that Democrats do it. We're going to remotely protest. I love protesting, but I don't want to get my head bashed in by the federales. We're going to let the booger boys and the federales just be the ones showing up, and they can battle it out. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to drive evil Trump crazy by protesting, by texting, by tweeting, by emailing. And what we're going to send out to him is Trump equals death. So you write Trump with an equal sign, death. I'd be real careful with that, Jessica. That may be construed as a threat against the President of the United States, and, and oh. you, may, you could end up in jail over that. Oh, can be you very say careful? Okay, Trump. Trump equals death? fascist. <laughs> you know that's not a death threat. That doesn't even okay. imply a death I, threat. I understand. Uh, Trump causes. Yeah, yeah. Death? something like that. I, you know, I would. Right. I, I would You're encourage right. you. I don't want but, it to but be a Jessica, threat. Jessica. Yeah, right. yeah, you, you want to do it right. Jessica, i got to move along, but thank you for the call. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jared, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, I just want to give condolences out to Michael Brooks of the Majority Report, hosted by Sam Cedar. He just recently died Monday at the age of 37 yes. by a blood clot, and Sam is just devastated. Yeah. It's tragic. Yeah, I've seen the eulogies. I saw one that Cenk Huger did, too. I didn't know him. In fact, I don't know that I've ever even met him. But, uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate. Anyhow, to your point, Jared, we've got about 45 seconds. We need to start looking at uh, this domestic police force we have in America as a foreign occupation force. We need to start looking at America right now as Denmark in the German occupation during World War II. We have free elections, but they're not free. We have a occupying force running things. And until we start realizing that the police are not there to protect us, they're there to protect capitalism, we're never going to get out of this. And it's not just capitalism, it's gangster government. I mean, that's what's going on here is gangster government. Well, I mean, they kind of go one in one, basically, you could say. <laughs> yeah, I can't, you can't disagree have capitalism with that. Without Jared, yeah, Jared, I can't. I got to run, but thank you. I think it's possible to have a have functional capitalism, but it's not what we have right now at all. I think they do have it in Denmark. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's the Tom Hartman program helping you win the water cooler wars. If, if you still have a water cooler, we'll be right back. 
So back in 2016, the election year, Donald Trump was not yet president. He was just running a scam university, Trump University. That year, and Barack Obama was president, that year, Corinthian Colleges and ITT Technical Institute, two scam for-profit colleges, went out of business and ended up leaving thousands, maybe tens of thousands of students just basically screwed. No degree, no job, and massive amounts of student debt. So President Obama and the Secretary of Education put together this plan. It's called the Borrower Defense Rule that said that if somebody got ripped off by one of these for-profit colleges, they didn't have to pay back the debt. If it was student debt that was issued by the federal government, we would just eat it as a country. They were the victims of fraud. Well, it turns out Betsy DeVos had other ideas. She came into office, of course, just months afterwards as Donald Trump was sworn into office, and she's been fighting it all the way. You can check the whole thing out over at TomHartman.com and our new video for supporters of our program. Michelle in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Michelle, what's up? Well, the legislature in New Mexico passed the law that all of our police have to have body cams. But, of course, the Bernalillo County Sheriff refuses. He's right now in Washington meeting with Trump so that he can have the federales come down and police our protests. What I would like to ask is how can we pass a federal law that says police should wear body cams and that that information should be open to the public. Because obviously this, this um, sheriff that we have down here in Bernalillo County has flouted the law for, for as long as he's been in office, and now he's refusing the, the state law of New Mexico. Right. That's a good question, Michelle, and, that, and I didn't know that. That's something uh, to flag <laughs> well, for Well, he's meeting groups. with Trump today. Wow. Senator Heinrich wow. called for his resignation, but of course that's not going to happen. Yeah, if you could find an article on that and tweet it to me, I'd appreciate it. Uh, I, you know, it is possible for the federal government to pass a law creating national police standards. They can't say that individual communities must do this because of the Tenth Amendment. This is not a power that is specifically enumerated in the Constitution, or at least has been adjudicated as such. But they do have the power. I mean, to do it the way that they do speed limits. Jimmy Carter passed, or maybe it was Richard Nixon, passed a national speed limit law to reduce the speed limit to 55 to reduce oil consumption (laughs) during the Arab oil embargo. He didn't have the power to tell states that they had to lower their speed limits. He did have the power, however, to say to the states, we will not give you any federal highway money if you don't lower your speed limit. And so similarly, police departments all over the United States get lots and lots and lots of goodies and cash from the federal government. And so if the law, if a law was written and passed that just explicitly said no police agency that refuses to use body cameras and they can define the parameters of that and how that's measured and how that's you know, policed, as it were, no pun intended, uh, any police department that refuses to do this does not get any federal assistance. And that would probably cause about 95% or more of all the police agencies across the United States to start complying. It might not happen in some of the smaller towns that don't get any federal money. But to the best of my knowledge, that's the only way to do it. I suppose it's conceivable, Michelle, that you could also hold up federal money that has to do with policing to the entire state and lean on the governor to lean on the municipalities if they don't do it. But again, it would have to be done as law. And there's so many libertarians, there's so many of these right-wing crackpots, these cokeheads, basically, as in Charles Koch, in the United States Senate right now, in the Republican Party, who are all freaked out about government overreach when it has to do with anything that might might come after right-wingers or just be normal functions of government. But they're not freaked out about the government, you know, breaking skulls here in Portland, Oregon, the federal government. But I doubt that that, you know, legislation to that effect would ever pass the Senate as long as it's controlled by Mitch McConnell. So, you know, the heavy lift that we've got to do, Michelle, if you want to see what you're talking about enacted into law next year, is that we've got to get Democratic control of the House, of the Senate and of the White House. And, you know, we have done that before in the recent past. We did that in 2008 for two years. Now we need to do it again. And this time we need to make full use of that time. 
and end the filibuster and get a hell of a lot of stuff done. And Elizabeth Warren has been all over this for quite some time and is really worth listening to on this regard. This is the Tom Hartman Program. This book in the Tom Hartman Book Club is All Politics is Local, Why Progressives Must Fight for the States by Megan Winter. And this is from the introduction. On February 20, 2018, six days after 17 people were shot and killed at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, Representative Keon McGee, a Democrat from Miami, stood on the floor of the Florida House of Representatives. Looking on from the gallery above were Parkland students who had traveled over 400 miles by bus to Tallahassee with the hope of persuading their state lawmakers to pass gun reforms in Florida. McGee asked the assembly to vote on a bill that would have banned assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith of Orlando, where a gunman had killed 49 and wounded another 53 people in the Pulse nightclub in 2016, had sponsored the bill, whose chances would expire unless the House bent its usual protocol and acted right at that moment. The shooting at Parkland demands extraordinary action, McGee told the assembly. He was trying a technical procedural maneuver, one that might have worked in an alternate reality without partisan politics. But everyone who understood what it meant that Republicans held a supermajority in the Florida Assembly knew what would come next. Richard Corcoran, the Republican Speaker of the House, interrupted McGee. A few minutes later, the House voted on a party lines, 71 to 36, not to consider the assault weapons ban. In the gallery, students began to cry. On Twitter, student leader Emma Gonzalez wrote, the anger that I feel right now is indescribable. Something unusual was happening. With their eloquence, temerity, and rage, the Parkland students had seized national attention. Major news networks and papers dispatched reporters to cover their calls for change. That week in February, even before knowing that hundreds of thousands of students nationwide would soon walk out of their schools and through the streets, the American public paid attention to what was happening in Tallahassee, Florida. And yet from another advantage, the scene in the Florida Capitol that day was not at all unusual. In state houses, it is not uncommon to watch someone sit before a panel of elected officials, hold up a placard of a dead child killed by opioids or lack of insurance or a gun, and plead for the passage of a bill that will inevitably not move out of committee because it does not fit within the political calculus of the Assembly's leadership. In those hearing rooms, ordinary people often share in breathtaking impotence. Three weeks before the Parkland students arrived in Tallahassee, for example, the Florida Senate Judiciary Committee discussed the Rule of Law Adherence Act, which would have required all local government officials, explicitly including employees of the state university system, to turn over information about immigrants to federal immigration officials. The bill was similar to those shopped around the country by the American Legislative Exchange Council, ALEC, an organization that since the 1970s has written experimental conservative state legislation. Alex's corporate members included Geo Group, the largest provider of detention services for immigration and customs enforcement, ICE, and a major donor to Florida Republicans in Donald Trump's presidential campaign. In 2016, the federal government decided to stop contracting with private prisons because the Department of Justice investigation had found they were unsafe. But after Trump's inauguration in early 2017, GeoGroup received $774 million worth of contracts to run federal prisons. On January 30th, 2018, the day that the Florida immigration bill was considered in Tallahassee, so many people showed up that the hearing room reached capacity. Muslim students and Latino farm workers and their teenage children who had traveled hours to testify against the bill were not allowed into the packed room. Expressionless, they watched the proceedings on a television mounted in a hallway as Florida Senator Aaron Bean stood at the podium and said that his bill means criminals will be kept off the streets. The bill did not advance in what counts as a victory, in part because in 2011, immigrant rights groups staged weeks-long protests in Tallahassee to oppose a bill modeled after the Arizona's 2010 law that allowed police officers to ask for immigration papers if they suspected someone was undocumented. The Florida legislature didn't pass a new aggressive anti-immigration law until 2019 when it gave the state the power to sue local law enforcement that refused to detain people according to orders from federal immigration officials. The next day, January 31st, Floridians concerned about sea level rise arrived in Tallahassee by the busload to ask their legislators to pass a raft of proactive climate change bills. 
Many were college students or recent graduates who had grown up along the coast and understood that the window of opportunity for stalling climate change was rapidly closing. During their lifetimes, they told me, their hometowns would be radically altered, if not sunken. By the end of the legislative session that March, none of the bills they wanted were passed. Even though just 10 years ago, it was all but mandatory for both Democrats and Republicans in Florida to at least make overtures about the need for proactive environmental laws. Similar scenes play out in hearing rooms across the country, usually unrecognized by the American public. Beneath the tumult of the Trump presidency, state lawmakers have largely kept their course. As Alex's own website explained in 2017, quote, state legislatures around the country have made significant progress passing bills on issues such as immigration, policing, and health care, even as Republicans in Congress and President Trump have struggled to make similar progress at the federal level, end of quote. After decades of state-based campaigns coordinated by libertarian and Republican operatives and disinvestment in the states, right-wing politicians have swept control of state houses. All politics is local. Joe in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Hey, Joe, what's up? How much might Eric Prince and his mercenaries be involved in this? Because he's been offering to be the knights for the neo-feudal lord, so to speak, for some right. time. And, and uh, I'm just wondering if, if this may be more private than it might appear to be. We don't know, Joe. What we do know is that Trump issued an executive order last year creating this private police force that the private police force has been brought into being and that they're apparently on the streets of Portland. We just don't know who they are. There was one picture of one guy who was wearing a San Diego hat that has gone viral on Twitter. And there are people in San Diego saying, we know that guy. He is a Border Patrol agent from San Diego. Now, whether that's true or not, I have no idea. But that Trump might have drawn heavily from ice, we, we, so it makes a lot of sense. We had a bit of a, an experiment with fascism in Michigan, you know, that resulted in the poison water in Flint and other places where they overturned democracy and put, you know, corporate people in, in power, and there was no right. real In charge of Flint, in charge of Detroit, and, yes. They and, called them emergency and, managers, and, yeah. Yeah, and I'm wondering how much of this is going to occur before you know, people step up and whether they're just putting out trial balloons to see what they can get away with, because it's pretty bad. You know, I'm no radical from the 60s, and there was a lot that went on at that time. I mean, you know, Pro and murders of Panthers and, and et cetera, but they just seem to be randomly taking people off the streets in Portland. You know, they may just be pushing this to see when people put a stop to it, and I'm not sure how we do that at at this time. That's actually brilliant, Joe. If you mix Trump's federalization of police and then his putting those federal police into cities with Democratic mayors, if you do that, I mean, he did it here in Portland. We've got a Democratic governor and a Democratic attorney general who is suing. The governor is speaking out. The Democratic mayor is speaking out. Everybody's outraged. What happens if he does that in, um, say, Atlanta, where you've got a Republican governor? And the Republican governor says, okay, I'm declaring a state of emergency. You've got police, federal police on the streets of Atlanta, and I'm going to replace Mayor Bottoms, just like Rick Snyder did in Michigan with the mayor and city council of Detroit. I'm going to replace Mayor Bottoms and the, and the Atlanta city council with an emergency manager. I'm declaring a state of emergency. Exactly. And we're going to federalize the exactly. city. And he could be doing this in Republican-controlled city after city after city, as long as they're in states that have democratically-controlled cities in states that have Republican governors. Joe, that's brilliant. Thanks a lot for the call. And welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. And a special, by the way, a special thanks to our crew who are pitching in and working out and doing yeoman's work in a scary time. Sean in the studio and Joyce in the studio answering phones and being very, very careful and social distancing and everything else. I'm here at home. Nate is doing our video work from home. So if you're watching us on YouTube or on Free Speech TV or on Facebook Live or on Twitter, you may see glitches from now and then. And if you're listening on the radio, the audio quality is 
is not quite what it typically is, but you know, we're doing the absolute best that we can, and I think we're doing a pretty damn good show at that. And I just want to acknowledge uh, everybody who's working with me, and, and Nigel and Sue, who Nigel who keeps up our website, who are working from home, and Sue Nethercutt, who does our newsletter every day with a list of all the articles that, and every story that I've talked about during the show in it. Sue's Daily Stack, and it's free, and you can find it all over TomHartman.com. Patrick and Jerry Lynn, who put together our podcasts, and Jamie, who does our hardcore webmastering stuff. He's working from home. He's out in, I believe, Kentucky or Tennessee. But uh, we got people scattered literally all over the globe working on this program. Nigel and Sewer in the UK. And Nate, thank you all. And thank you for listening and, and watching and supporting our, our nonprofit stations and Free Speech TV and supporting our for-profit stations and, the, and letting their advertisers know that you're listening. We are seeing advertising dropping off rather precipitously. You know, it's going to be a tough time for our business, just like it is for every other business. We are going to get through this. We're doing everything we can. We may be taking some advertisers that we normally wouldn't be running, but hey, it's a pandemic. So we'll all get over that, right? We could all agree to that. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 